Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Today, I'm excited to bring you an interview with Eddie Robar, who is branch manager of Edmonton Transit Service in the city of Edmonton in Canada. I recently met with Eddie at the Canadian Urban Transit Association annual conference, which was held in Western Canada. And there I was able to discover all the things he's got going on at ETS or Edmonton Transit Service. Just phenomenal. One of the things he's doing is a bus network redesign, like so many other transit systems across North America. He recently received approval from a city council and will be implementing it in the next year. He tells us in this interview about how they're going about redesigning the network and how they'll implement it and what they hope the results will be. He's also purchasing 40 new electric buses, one of the largest bus orders of any city in North America recently from Proterra, the electric bus company. And he tells us about what they're going to be doing there as well and how they're uh, going to be implementing them across their fleet and actually turning one of their garages, building a new garage uh, to help implement that and turn the whole facility into an electric bus facility. I think you'll find this interview fascinating and the special edition of Transit Unplugged. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. It's exciting to be in Calgary, Canada. Warm, beautiful. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's freezing cold up here, isn't it, Eddie? <laughs> We're in freezing cold uh, province of Alberta. Is that right? That's We're in correct. Alberta, yeah. right? Yeah. And we are in Calgary for the CUDA, the Canadian Urban Transportation Association Conference. And I'm happy to be with Eddie Robar, my new buddy, who is head of Edmonton Transit up here in Canada. Thanks for having me, Paul. I'm yeah. excited to be here. Yeah, exciting, man. So um, the other night, Eddie was telling me all this stuff about his system, and I was like, dude, we got to get you on the podcast. You got to tell everybody, you are rocking in Edmonton. Yeah. So first, tell us a little about um, the city of Edmonton itself. I told you, the only thing I ever heard about it was the Edmonton Oilers from the Canadian Football League, but tell me more about it. Well, I think we have the most northerly NHL team in, in the NHL, so all right. that's uh, one big hit for us, the Edmonton Oilers. But you had a football team too, didn't you? We do. We have the Edmonton yeah. Eskimos is a CFL team as well. Okay. But about a population of just under a million people. So we're in the Big nine, city. Nine, over 900,000 uh, population. And our uh, area is probably about 680 square kilometers. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Uh, and tell me about yourself some. Um, how long have you been there and how did you get there? Yeah, I've been in um, Edmonton for almost four years now. Um, I've been in transit for 17 years and um, kind of grew up through the organization. So when I graduated uh, university, it wasn't long after I fell into a scheduling position in transit and kind of grew up through the ranks through there. So I was in Halifax when I started my transit career, uh, moved up through that system, managing the planning department, and then later to running the Halifax transit system for about six years. And then, uh, how big is that system, Halifax? Yeah, it's about a third of the size of Edmonton. Okay, so right. it's uh, about a 400,000 population, uh, almost about 400 buses. Had ferries there, which is pretty exciting. Nice, yeah. So I always say to people, I traded the ferries for trains. <laughs> uh, so now I get to play with trains instead of playing with ferries. But, That's good. Um, yeah, I love trains. Yeah, so it was a it was a it was a great career rise for me. I think it was a good opportunity at the right time. And uh, then Edmonton called me up and asked me to come out. So, um, you've been there four years. Yeah, four yeah. years. So, how do you like it? I love it. I think yeah. I, you know, part of what attracted me coming there was just really 
what they were working on, where they wanted to go with the transit system. I think uh, a lot of conversation back and forth. I think it was about a, a six-month recruiting process for me to fill it out because I loved where I lived. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, the East Coast was a really nice place for me to live, but certainly when I look through the time and what I wanted for my career and the opportunity that um, that Edmonton presented for me was um, a bit of a stars-aligning moment for me. So certainly looking at some of the stuff that we're going under, like route network redesigns, and some of the work on electrification, certainly some of the social impact that we can have here in the city of Edmonton. They were giving me a bit of free reign for some of that and looking to um, strategize about how to make this a better system for people and certainly taking that approach from a people perspective and redesigning a system from the people up instead of just a transit planning solution and really looking at how transit systems can shape a city. We have a huge opportunity in, in Edmonton to be that impactful in the next 20 years. So that's, great. that's kind of what drove me there. Yeah. So tell me about, oh, what'd you get your degree in in university? Yeah, so I have a degree in psychology and HR. Oh, so, really? Yeah. You probably so can I, use that every day, can't well, you? Well, <laughs> you know what? It's funny. I, I talk about this all the time, but I ended up uh, in a career that had nothing to do with my degree. And where I sit today, though, has everything um, to do, has with, everything the, to do yeah. with it. So, that's good, man. You know, it's, uh, it's useful now and wasn't so useful in the beginning. So That's great. Yeah, and did you do that because that's what you loved? That was your passion, or I kind of just like when I went to university, I wouldn't really know what I wanted to do. Okay. So I ended like up, a lot uh, of young people. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up uh, in university looking at kind of what I like, and I like people. Yeah. And I think that kind of drove me to that HR side of the fence, and you know, certainly is what's helped me uh, today in my approach with with uh, with the system, with our employees, mm -hmm. and with the people that travel our system as well. That's so, good. You got family up here and everything. I do. I have three uh, three young daughters, uh, 14, 12, and nine that drive me crazy every day <laughs> they all moved out here with me and, and took this journey with me as well and my wife is a true nova scotianer so now i'm calling her a true albertan so she's go. certainly transitioned that's yeah. wonderful so uh, tell me some about your system itself kind of the nuts and bolts yeah sure we have uh, about three layers of service in our system today so we have our bus service which is just under a thousand buses um, I mean, that's massive. Yeah, a thousand pretty, buses yeah. is big, man. It's pretty big. I think, say, it almost tripled the size of the service that I used to have to yeah. now. And our LRT system, we have two lines of LRT, yeah, light yep. rail transit, and it's about 24 kilometers of, of track. And uh, that is about just under 100 cars. Okay. And that system is growing as well. We have a Southeast Valley line going in as we speak. Uh, it's for a construction project that will launch in 2020. And as well, we have our paratransit system, and that's just under 100 buses as well. So we have about 87 million rides a year, certainly about 2.4 million hours a year. So in about just under 400,000 rides a day on a weekday. Pass, I mean, employees? Yeah, 20, we have about 2,300 employees. Okay. So 1,700 of those are, are operators. So nice. it's a pretty significant amount. Garages, so, like how many garages yeah, you have, that kind of stuff? Uh, five garages, Okay. Uh, about 26 transit stations, including our LRT stations. And um, kind of all over the city, so north side, east side, we're just opening our new Kathleen Andrews facility, um, taking possession in December, okay. so in a month from now. So we'll be running service out of there in February, full service. So we're pretty excited about that. And what will that? What what is special about that? Well, it's, it's a three expansion of service. Or? Yeah, well, it's a 300 bus facility. It's a replacement facility for oh, us. So it okay. replaces a really old facility in the center of our city. So in the center, um, wow. Huge improvement for our employees and our, oh, yeah. and our maintenance staff. 
So certainly taking a 1950s facility into a, you know, a new millennia is a pretty yeah. big deal. And uh, you got a we'll, kitchen and a gym and all that. We have everything. Nice. So we have uh, nice quiet spaces for our operators. We have a gymnasium in there as well. Yeah, that's the new uh, thing. Yeah. So we've got all the uh, all the comforts of what you'd expect on on a really long service day for our operators. And yeah. Certainly a huge advantage for us in terms of improving our our employee environment. So what kind of really shifts do you run? So we run t- pretty much 24-7. I mean, uh, we work from, I think it's our first pullout is in the 2 or 3 o'clock range. And yeah. our last pull-in is right around then, too. Okay, so yeah. we're pretty much 24-7, 365. Okay. Uh, definitely a peak hour-oriented uh, uh, service, right. just like anybody else. Yeah. Probably we run just under 800 buses at peak, so... So you have about a 20% spare ratio. Yeah, 20% spare ratio. Yeah. Yeah. What about your driver shifts? Are you working 10-hour shifts, 8-hour shifts, a mix? Yeah, we do a mix. So we have 8-hour straight splits, uh, 10 straight splits. So and then we obviously spare board and and some smaller pieces of work as well. Yeah. But what you typically see in a transit agency, so that's good. Yeah. Now your background in in uh, transit planning is interesting. There is a there's a few people that like um, the, the guy that replaced me in Baltimore started his career in planning. Kevin Quinn is a great guy. So tell me how that helps inform like the new things you're doing. Is that a great background to have for a CEO? Yeah, I think for me, the couple of things, one is the planning background, the other is the HR side of it for me. I think those two things have gave me a huge advantage in terms of understanding you know, how cities are built and how we intertwine with them. I think that looking at the network redesign for me, it's really about a city building objective. So we look at the changes that we're making. It's not only on the ridership side and building that system that people want and deserve and what they're looking for us to create for them, but it also helps us with that land use planning and making sure that as we build this system, we're building it in a way that supports that city building initiative and really looking at reshaping what our city looks like um, and using that transit system as the base. Yeah. So I think that planning part for me has helped us get very connected with that city plan and city building and making sure that we're kind of achieving those objectives from a growth of a city from 1 million to 2 million. So. Okay. So your your official title is branch manager of transportation for the yeah, city, right? That's right. So you're part of the city government? You yeah. like report up to the mayor or how does that work? Yeah. So our, we are a city department. We're not a commission. I think okay. we fall under the city operations uh, group in the city of Edmonton. And we report up through our city council. Oh, so, through the council. That's correct. Yeah. Ah, interesting. So, very, very much like a board structure. Our council is our board. And so, do you have a mayor in the city? We do. Yeah, Don Iveson. He's a great mayor. Uh, certainly supports our transit system tremendously, and has been a huge advocate for the growth of our system. That's great. Budget-wise, where are you at there? Capital-wise and yeah, operating so that we, kind of stuff. Um, we're about three hundred and fifty-five million in, in operating budget a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we run anywhere from one hundred to one hundred fifty million probably in capital um, on top of that. So a lot about, of big projects going on, right? Yeah. We'll talk about them in a minute. Yeah, yeah I'm we excited will. about so it. There's a, there's a lot going on in transit right now. And like I said, the mayor's a huge supporter of that. He was actually responsible for the implementation of the U-Pass in the city as a college student, oh, wow. a university student. So wow. he's kind of... Really he's into a transit. transit geek, huh? He's a yeah. transit geek, and he's um, that's awesome. Yeah. You don't always get that, you know. No, and that, that, that's part of what attracted me to the city as well. I mean, I look at um, moving here. Part of that supportive transit environment was something that was really of interest to me, and in making sure that that support structure around the growth of the service itself. What does it look like? You hear a lot of people talk about transit uh, in the industry right now. It's, it's a really, really exciting time. 
and there's a lot of change happening and there's a lot of growth in the service and opportunity. So uh, that opportunity was was really robust there and super supported by that that political infra- uh, side of it as well. Yeah, the so. support you're getting from the politics. So they say mm-hmm. the. Uh, in in uh, government, it's you got to follow the golden rule, and it's not what you think it is. It is he who has the gold makes the rules. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's good to have the people who yeah. have the gold, the government, you know, the the politicians, the statesmen, yeah. uh, being pro transit and supporting it. So uh, let's let's talk about what you've got. You, we've kind of prefaced this. What what you've got a lot of things coming up on your horizon. Let's walk yeah. through them. Yeah, sure. I think like you got to 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 start where we're at today. You kind of got to take a step back. Okay. I think if we look at where when I came in 2015. Um, we were working on a bit of a, a strategy around, okay, what do we do next with transit? And I think we've we've did a huge engagement out to the public. Our engagement to date it hits about 40,000 interactions with with Edmontonians, and um, that has helped tremendously in us. You mean you've had 40,000 people respond like to your surveys that's, and that's stuff? That's correct. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. So we have outreach into the communities. We had 4,000 people or 40,000 people respond to to our um, our conversations around transit and what they wanted. Yeah. I think we really took an approach of like what kind of system do you want here in the city of Edmonton and how do we kind of achieve that objective? And uh, we heard lots, um, and we're public meetings and all that jazz. Public meetings, yeah. yeah. So we and we got great feedback. I think that the one thing I can say is today we've we've honestly have a bus network redesign coming up, and we're having that conversation on approval next week, actually. And uh, that for us is tremendously exciting because it's going to be the first time we can truly put our hand on our heart and say we've built a system for Edmontonians. And yeah, that, it's kind of their uh, system. They, they help you design yeah, it, right? It's their yeah. system. So we're super excited about that. Tell that, me about that. What what that what is that going to look like? What is that going to mean? Yeah, so I think in the traditional transit world, people know what a pulse network design is, and that's traditionally what our system is right now. It's very, um, I call it spaghetti sometimes. It's all over the place but um, very coverage-focused and very Pulse Network design. When you get into a city of a million people, that connectivity and getting to a transit center at a specific time becomes challenging. So we're actually transforming that into more of that high-frequency network design, really looking at frequency of routes. I always say you're giving those people the headlights and taillights kind of a network. So if I look down the road and I see the taillights of a bus, I'm looking the other way and I see the headlights coming in. So I, I like the, that approach helps us with the connectivity, not having to worry about the connections as much as I come into a transit room, I know a bus is going to be there. And I think that service part for us is really heard clearly from our, our, our Edmontonians that it was, you know, safe, convenient, reliable uh, service is what they wanted and, um, and fast. So I think that we're designing that network that we had discussed. Um, went out to the public after we've designed it and had a very robust conversation about some of that. Actually, and I keep saying this every time we go out, but you never get it right the first time. So when we've designed our network the first time, we really wanted to engage the public and get good feedback and got that great feedback. And we were able to change about 20% of that network after the final, after the network we designed. We changed about 20% to get the net, the final network. And it's really, truly built on that feedback. That's great. So, yeah, really excited about that. And like I said, that goes next week for our final uh, approval. And then we'll be um, rolling that out in uh, September of 2020. So we've got less than a year to get that sorted out. And uh, did you include the drivers in your uh, evaluations and absolutely, discussions? Yeah, yeah, absolutely we did. I think that we went, We went. Um, obviously our staff was a big part of that conversation. Uh, our drivers know those services more than anybody. Uh, they drive those routes every day. So I think when you look at the implementation of that service, we were in every single garage, having those conversations, operator focus groups, making sure that we were reaching out to all levels of, of our service. And certainly when we talk about customers, 
you know, the, the drivers are just as important in that conversation, making sure that, you know, we're providing an environment for them that, you know, makes it easy for them to provide the service that and the customer service that we're looking for as well. Will the new network redesign uh, effectively interlink with your light rail system? Yeah, so this, the good thing about this design, I think that's the one thing that coming here is taking really two systems and making them one network. Yep. And I think that that was, um, we're kind of agnostic to the fact that if it is it LRT or is it bus, our high frequency network is built as a network. So some of that high frequency network might be our LRT, some of it might be a high frequency corridor with buses. What's the name of your system? It's the Edmonton Transit Service. Right. Are you going to so, keep that name with a new design? Or are you we actually, adding something? We've actually already year? changed the name. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think that part of what you're talking about here is it's actually uh, quite convenient, but our name was Edmonton Transit System. Um, but we wanted to make sure that we're sending the message of that change for us is one service. Right. So it's not just the LRT service and our bus system. What will it be we, called? It'll be called the Edmonton Transit Service. The whole thing together. Yeah. Yeah. So we've actually changed it already. Oh, good. Leading into this was a bit of a precursor for us to have those conversations about us transforming into one service, a connected service, a connected network. Yeah. And we're looking at that as a future kind of, this bus network redesign is one step and one level, but we're looking at levels of service as we go into that. Okay. So we're looking at not only are we looking at big bus, small bus, and our, our uh, LRT service, but we're also looking at how do we connect as a community, what levels of service can we provide. We're always looking at the, the you know, mobility as a service conversation and how we can use that to our advantage to get a fully connected network in the city of Edmonton. Is the new plan going to be revenue neutral or, I mean, uh, budget neutral or are you going to cost more or what? Yeah, so I, I've been very specific about growth in the city of Edmonton and, and not asking for it until I'm sure that we've got a, an efficient transit network. So our redesign is based on our, our service hours today. We're really what I call resetting the foundation of transit. So as we build on the future, I want to make sure that we're building on a really robust foundation. And that's what this is about. So we're redeploying what we have today. So revenue neutral or budget neutral. That's what a lot um, of people are doing. Yeah. You know, yeah. And then we're going to be um, kind of showing that we can do this, this uh, present the value that people are looking for in the system we have. And then we'll look at growth in the future. What else do you have on the horizon? Now you've got a lot of other things happening. Yeah, just too. a couple of things. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we have work going around right now on a, on a alternative transit solutions conversation around different mobility services. So certainly that first kilometer, last kilometer is very important to us, and we'll be at our council next week having that same conversation. Um, what might that look like in the future? Do you have any, can you say? Or? Yeah, when we look at um, some of our bus network redesign, we obviously did what most are doing and looking at that reliable, convenient service. We're looking at the trade-off conversation of coverage versus ridership. We've pulled some of our service in a little bit, and um, those places that were impacted we're looking at as alternative um, transportation solutions. So whether that's an on-demand service, mm -hmm. ride hailing, shared ride taxi, kind of those conversations is what we're going to have uh, a talk about next week but really getting that connected network in the right level of service in the right neighborhood. You know, I've always been, you hear that old age adage in transit of, you know, you can't be everything to everyone. But I think that where we are today in service levels and our opportunity uh, out there is you can be almost everything to everyone with the right service in the right place. So looking at different solutions, may not be big bus. When you talk about transit in a neighborhood, up here becomes the 40-foot bus in mind when now we've got all of these solutions and tool, like our toolbox increases. That's what a I, great way to look at it. Yeah. yeah, what I look told council is really 
they've given us a bigger toolbox to play with, and that gives us better opportunity for us to deliver mobility services for people and get a better connected network in a way that can be everything to everyone at a reasonable value for dollar. So maybe so. if um, Mrs. Johnson is down at the end of a long road, you don't necessarily have to send a 40-foot bus down. You could send a microtransit or a lift vehicle or something, that kind of a thing? Yeah, 100%. I think yeah. it gives us a better opportunity to get deeper into communities. Certainly allows us a more robust, flexible organization and, and deals with challenges sometimes too. And I always talk about this demand service and the ability that that provides for us. But when we go to a high-frequency network, you know, you always have that old challenge of my reverse commute into my community. And um, with a demand-based service, you have a bus waiting for you when you get there. With fixed routes, sometimes you'll get there and it might be five minutes after your trip and you're going into a lower-frequency service and you now have to wait 25 minutes. Those things go away with a different type of service like this where I can book my trip on my way out and have that bus there when I get there uh, and give me that seamless transition. So that's uh, certainly something that's exciting for us. We have a great conversations with the community on that and are looking forward to some of that, that work in the future. Are you flirting with uh, autonomous <clears throat> vehicles at all, or are you waiting well, I on think, that? Well, I think think about the options and opportunities that provides us with First K, Last K. I think that what we're trying to do is future-proof ourselves. So mm-hmm. when we look at those layers of service, we're keeping all of that stuff in mind. So when we look at the, the, that layer, obviously it gives you the opportunity to kind of lift mm-hmm. and then place into something else. So certainly this opportunity in the layered service gives us an ability to kind of stay with the market on, on disruptive technology or autonomous vehicles and really look at how do we provide that for the city of Edmonton going forward. So we are definitely uh, keeping that in the back of our mind as we transition our service. And you're just making a big move to electric vehicles, right? Yeah. Tell us about that. So we're pretty excited to be probably the largest single fleet order in, uh, in Canada right now. We were in North America until Seattle ordered uh, 80 on us, but okay. uh, we're uh, really excited about that. I think for us, it's... Um, you get 40? Is that what you got? Yeah, we got yeah. 40 vehicles coming uh, between about January and June. Of we'll have 2020? 2020, uh-huh. yeah. We'll be fully deployed um, in service in June of 2020. So Can I really, ask who you got them from? Did you already make that decision? Yeah, we have. Um, we are going with a Patera bus. Okay. So built out of California. Yeah. Super excited about that. I think they produced a great bus for us. Certainly, they've worked really well with us in terms of being a bit picky about stuff too. So for us on our electric bus program, we took a very purposeful approach about how we deploy and what kind of vehicle we wanted based on our operation. So we tried to solve three three problems. One was a long-term maintenance issue, you know, making sure that we were um, being as value-driven as possible. So in terms of like having a pantograph go up from the bus to touch a, um, a charging system, you know, the, the, the industry really didn't land on wh- which is the most appropriate approach, but we're driving a bit of that because uh, we're trying to limit the movements. So instead of pantographs going up and touching uh, the chargers, our pantographs come down from the charging system down. So instead, if, if you're looking at a full fleet conversion to 300 vehicles, if your pantographs are all on your bus, you have 300 moving parts. You limit that when you go into a charging system that goes down on top of the bus to almost a quarter of that. So less moving parts, less maintenance issues. We're also doing um, not on-route charging. We're doing long, uh, long-range long buses that can handle a full-service day on our route. So How many miles um, are we talking, 100, 150? Uh, about 400 kilometers. Okay, yeah, yeah that's about, right, your kilometers. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> that's all right, it's about uh, that. <laughs> about 400 kilometers, yeah. which is almost 87% of all the work we do. All right. So it can do about 87% of everything. So in my sense, in the planning side, coming from that scheduling world and trying to plan a bus, I always 
always look at it if I'm a short-range vehicle. You, if you have to plan a bus to be at a specific place, a specific time of day, for a spe- specific length of time, that creates an inflexibility in your scheduling right. that costs money. Yes. Um, so we were trying to kind of uh, work away that problem for us as well. Yeah. So the long-range bus does that for us in the kilometers that it drives, and it doesn't. we don't have to en-route charge. So all of our charging is going to be done in depot. Um, and then we had to solve another problem with the in-depot. So in-depot, we didn't want to go around and have somebody plugging in a bus every day and running around moving plugins, plugins, because you don't have as many plugins per vehicle. Um, so to solve that issue, we're actually overhead charging in our depot, which um, solves that issue. And then we can just drive the bus in, pantograph comes on top, and we can actually push twice as much power through that system than we can through the wire. So that helped us with how fast the co- we recover our charge and able to put that bus back out. Do you know how long that's going to take to fully charge? Yeah, so fully charged from empty is about two, two and a half hours. Wow, um, bad. Yeah, but they're rarely coming empty. They're coming half, yeah, probably right. half that. And, um, bigger than my phone. Yeah. <laughs> so and then the other the other issue in the in the in depot was really about garage space. One thing we all struggle with is uh, right. is really footprint in a in a facility, and especially if you talk about looking at the facility itself and in a facility that was already operational, taking up space with charging systems on the floor um, is a challenge for us, and we don't want to lose space on on lines of buses. Or so that solved another problem for us. If we went overhead, we didn't have to worry about infrastructure on the floor taking up other space of our vehicles or transit lines. So it was a huge improvement, uh, and all of those things kind of led us to the vehicle that we wanted okay. in the end. So yeah. we solved those problems and talked about what we wanted to do and things we didn't want to limit ourselves to. It kind of drove a unique solution, especially with the charging infrastructure in the garage. And I keep saying, and I've been doing a few presentations on these lately, but the buses are the easy part, the infrastructure, charging, um, how many you can charge in a facility. Those are the harder challenges yeah. with electrification. And we're really excited about the, the, promise, the promise of what we have. So beyond electric buses, we're moving to how do you switch an electric fleet? So transitioning that fleet from diesel to electric is just as complicated as, as it is the infrastructure to charge. So we're building a new facility, designing that now, setting it based on, on charging infrastructure, um, which is first of its kind in North America. And um, certainly uh, along with the planning um, part of it, you know, getting good routes and good deadhead times and things like that. We're looking at uh, the charging infrastructure around that and saying, how many buses can we charge in a location? How big does it have to be? And how do you take and fill that up with diesel buses and then kind of bleed them off and replace them as electrics? And then eventually getting yourself to a fully electrified garage where we can start pushing all the electrics into there and then repeat the same process over again in replacing our diesels to electric. So it's a flipping facility. You're it's flipping. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah I, call it, I call it our swing facility. Oh, swing. Okay, yeah. there you go. So yeah. It's very similar to that. Yeah. That's nice, man. Yeah, so it's a it's a very robust program. You're gonna do all you gonna get all electric? Is that your game plan? Yeah, we're looking to our council's very focused on on GSG reduction and looking and making sure that we're kind of achieving the objective of of that and certainly our really aggressive at approaching that the uh the challenge comes in how long does it take you to transition a fleet right and uh, certainly everything comes down to money in some cases and funding right but uh we're looking to try and get 440 buses into our fleet by 2030 so okay and my understanding is the operational costs 
uh, kind of go down when you go to electric, right? In yeah. The long term. Yeah. Certainly, one thing we're excited about is the reinvestment that can have for us. If you look at transit properties, anytime you're looking at opportunity to save money and reinvest that in our service, it's an opportunity for us to uh, to really provide a better customer experience. So definitely the electric buses for us run about 30 to 35% less okay, uh, yeah. in maintenance costs per vehicle uh, than a diesel. And that opportunity for us is huge. So I think that we look at that as an, a really um, good place for us to keep our tax levy in a, in a place that's reasonable and redeploy that, that, that funding into good service. That's so. great. Switching topics a little bit here, but uh, you also got a big effort at regionalization, right? Yeah. Tell us a little about that and what you're doing there. Yeah, so beyond the uh, million people we have, our regional pause about 1.2, 1.3 million. We have a couple of periphery cities to the city of Edmonton, and we are working very hard at um, creating a first stab at a regional commission. Okay. So looking at what does one transit system look like for the entire region. We've been working on that the last little bit on the governance side and have done a really good job at uh, at moving that along. So we're really excited to get to the point where we've got an MOU or working on an MOU with all of the uh, the periphery cities. Um, that kind of sparked a little bit out of the conversation around our SmartFirst system, actually. So beyond the big projects we just talked about, we have a implementation of a new smart card system that we're working on uh, that'll launch in September of 2020. But that's going to be the first seamless regional fare card for the city of Edmonton. So um, moving from the paper-based product into the electronic world, uh, getting a tap-on, tap-off system that can uh, really provide like that. credit card or your own... Uh we're actually doing it all. Really? So, yeah. So Way to go, man. We're going from, uh, we're going to start with um, just our reloadable card in right. September of 2020. And then we're moving into, in April of 2021, moving into uh, some, uh, credit cards, open payment, full open payment, and also kind of proceeding down the uh, the path of distance-based fares. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So most people are doing zone-based fares. Right. We're actually procuring uh, and developing right now a system to do that transition to distant-based fares. When we look at the customer impact in this, and like I say, everything is connected and the stuff that we're doing, but providing that best value to the customer and understanding their travel patterns and really providing a system that supports the way people travel. That's great. Eddie, you're yeah. a rock star, man. You're getting it all done. <laughs> well, not, not yet. We're, we're on the implementation path <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, there you so, go. Yeah. Uh, unlike some, we're, we're really looking forward to what the future holds. The next you know, two to three years are going to be big years for ETS, and it's a huge transformation for us, and we're really looking forward to a new new ETS. That's great. Yeah. Anything else big on the horizon or anything else you want to talk about? I think the one, one thing I would like to talk about, I guess, is really um, – Beyond that, we're working a lot on our social programming and and certainly our safety and security work that we're doing. Uh, we have a big investment last year in in our safety and security program about taking a, a very people-focused GBA plus lens. What's that um, mean, GBA? It's just the gender-based analysis. Oh, okay. And I think that for us, it's more about how do we make our system safe for women and children, and we think that that can make it safe for everyone. Okay. So we've been working with UN Safe Cities. UN? The UN? UN yeah. Wow. The UN Safe Cities group, and really looking at um, how we can make transit systems safe for women and children and what their perceptions of safety are, how do we kind of combat that element, and we're working very hard at attacking that very yeah. very closely in the next year. And as well, probably the one of most, I look at some of the, the stuff we're most proud of, even the stuff that we've implemented to date, but certainly we heard it here at the CUTA conference and, and the mayor from Calgary talking about uh, their ride transit program. Yeah. And certainly we were 
kind of piggybacking on the same conversation in the city of Edmonton. We're close uh, proximity to the city of Calgary and uh, working on our ride transit program as well there and a low-income pass program for, for folks. And that probably is the single biggest proud moment I am of our group and, and ETS because it really has had a tremendous impact on low-income folks and really getting mobility in the city and people not having to choose between whether I go to work today or whether I go get groceries. Or it's a reduced fare program? Or? Yeah, so mm-hmm. we were able to provide a, a $35 pass like for a those monthly who qualify. Monthly pass okay, yeah. for those who qualify. And now we're actually working on a sliding scale program for people too. Great. So they can, those people in the low-income program well, we can kind of generally get that sliding scale work done too, so that if you're making a little bit more, maybe it costs you fifty dollars for a pass. Or yeah, it has probably helped mobility on that social programming side. We have about twenty thousand people a month on it right now, and it is really having the impact we hope to have. And we've evaluated that program just recently last year, and some of the stuff that comes out of that is stuff that I think just pulls at your heartstrings a little bit too and really has a really true impact on the people side. So when we look at that and kind of growing the scope of that connectivity, mobility in in transit, we're taking that very same approach to make sure that we're taking care of everyone in our system and we're providing that accessibility to our city and what it has to offer for all Edmontonians. So. Well, what a great way to wrap it up. You've, yeah. you've come full circle. I don't know how you keep it all straight, man. You must have a great staff. Yeah, I got great staff. Yeah. Could, we have a great great team behind us, and they're doing a lot of hard work right now. So That's great. We're super excited about the future holds. Well, all the best, Yeti. I can't wait to see all these new developments unfold up here in Edmonton, and then uh, we'll have you maybe at another, uh, we're going to do, I know, our CEO roundtable here at CUDA, but maybe a future one in a year or so, and have you give us an update on how everything's going. Yeah, I'd love to do that. It's right. fantastic. Thanks, thanks for so having much. Me. Yeah, thanks for being a guest today, man. This is awesome. Right. You're doing great work up there. Yeah, thanks a lot. All right, appreciate it. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.